The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Bruce DeTorres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. World Stage indeed, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to talk about a free Zoom event coming up this Wednesday, January 17th. It is Trine Day Publishing's Roundtable number 26. Trine Day is a small book publisher that publishes books that that challenge official history. I do the marketing for them. They published my book. And once a month, we do a free Zoom roundtable for 90 minutes. This one on Wednesday, January 17th is JFK's long arc of history leads to economic justice and world peace. And you can read all about it and reserve your participation there at valediction.net. Valediction.net slash event list. And that's Roundtable 26. It's a 90-minute conversation. I moderate them with publisher Chris Milligan, authors Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould, and Earth rights activist Alana Hartsock. This is our 26th one. This, we've been doing this over two years. And it's to develop an awareness and an excitement and a passion for President Kennedy's vision of world peace and also get the world up to speed with the economics of an American named Henry George from the 19th century. And to be brief here, I will just tease you with that. You can learn all about it at valediction.net slash roundtable 26. JFK's long arc of history leads to economic justice and world peace. With me this hour is Richard Otto. And we will discuss his books, three of them, and every tangent we care to go down. His first was The Paradox of Our National Security Complex, How It Undermines American Security and Liberty and Democratic Governments Around the World, Rethinking America, Lies Masquerading as Truth, What the Killing of a Popular President, JFK, in Broad Daylight Revealed About America, and why the government covered up the truth about it. And his third book, The Hidden War, The Desecration of the Promise of America, The Consequences of the Assassinations of the 1960s, and How America Devolved into an Empire Ruled by Rapacious Robber Barons, exactly what America's founders warned against. Richard's books are available at Amazon and many of the usual sellers. Rick, thank you very much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Well, as we've been getting to know each other the last couple of weeks leading up to this conversation, I, I'll put, uh, I'll suggest we, I, I start picking your brain about President Kennedy because it seems like that is a great uh, door to open to review and cover as much of the picture of America and the world today 
through its history and evolution into this national security state that we are. So when someone meets you for the first time and says, hey, you know, what, what's, what's your major thesis in these three books? What's the spine of it? Or what's the major point you want to make about what America is now and how we got here? Well, uh, President Kennedy is a, in a, a theme that goes through all three books. His assassination is a seminal, tragic event in this country's history. Uh, and the subsequent cover-up of what happened that day uh, reveals um, what has happened to our country and how sick we've become. And essentially, uh, as Dr. E. Martin Schultz said, uh, the reason why Kennedy had to be killed was because he was trying to stop the insanity um, of this uh, idea that we, were, we should become an empire, what they would call an exceptional nation today, uh, that we deserve um, the right to exploit other people's resources and their labor because we've earned that right. And because of the nature of our founding, uh, people should um, concede what we want and acquiesce to our interests. Uh, President Kennedy wanted us to be an exemplary nation. He knew that um, because of our founding and because of the ideals that were put forward at that founding, that uh, he wanted to try to fulfill them as best he could. And I don't think he re recognized how difficult that was going to be until the Bay of Pigs. I think that opened his eyes even more than they were prior to um, that event, because so many of his important national security people, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the top CIA people, and even some of his own staff lied to him about that operation to get him to agree to it because he had so many reservations. And so they tried to assuage him and eventually they got him to go along with it. And as he said, after the fact, how, how could I be so stupid? Because he knew there were, how could 2,400 people overthrow a government that had about 250,000 troops uh, and were being supported by the Russians at that time. Uh, how could that uh, occur? He knew that that sounded strange, but they assured him that he wouldn't need to send in U.S. forces and uh, that there would be an uprising within the country if he did that. Now, the importance well, I, of... I, I, I just want to... Uh add to that to highlight its importance that was in april it was three months after he was sworn in just before he was sworn in as you well know president eisenhower leaving the white house at night on live television gave a farewell address and he warned about three huge things and one of them most famously was the military industrial complex that then existed that had ballooned since world war ii and the grave threat to our liberties our institutions our values our our even our heritage maybe he said spiritual heritage it was a stunning warning so you know the betrayal you just described of president kennedy by the top people at the pentagon and at the cia you're absolutely right. Kennedy, like a duck hit in the head by a rock in the weeks thereafter, privately, 
did say things like, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have trusted people I didn't know just because they were supposed to be experts? And I don't know if you want to say more to add to, you know, uh, those embellishments of the importance uh, of what well, he I, I, learned then. It, what I would add is that what he did after learning, uh, he set up a task force to figure out what happened. And they, the task force that was set up, that was run by General Maxwell Taylor and his brother was included, uh, essentially told him what he suspected, that he had been lied to. And um, he'd been, he was never given access to the people that had created the plan that was under the Eisenhower administration was called Operation Zapata. And that um, Richard Nixon was the one that was in charge of actually running the thing. Eisenhower didn't get into the weeds, Richard Nixon did. Uh, and he, he allowed, because President Kennedy, despite some of the things that have been said against him, that he was a, a mean-spirited, ambitious person who was reckless in his personal life, he really cared about human beings. And he understood that these people that uh, he was going to fire um, had, at the time, had really good reputations with the American people, especially Alan Dulles. Um, his brother, John Foster Dulles, was dead at this time. But the Dulles brothers were considered heroic figures at, time, at that time. It's kind of hard to, to think of them that way with what we know today. But at the time, they, we didn't know any of those things. So he allowed them to resign. But everyone within the Beltway knew why he was getting rid of them. And no other president since then has ever dared to do that to the intelligence community. Now, yeah. we, had one yeah. we had one president in his midnight tweets um, said some negative things about the CIA and the NSA. And he said they were a bunch of idiots and they didn't know what they were doing. Well, Chuck Schumer went on Rachel Maddow's show in 2019, and he basically told the truth. Uh, I don't know if he wanted to tell the truth, but he did. He said that this was stupid to do this by Trump because the intelligence community have six ways until Sunday to get back at you. Absolutely. Every, everybody that was listening to that podcast, most people didn't get it. They were going, yeah, they should get Trump because they, I call it Trump derangement syndrome. They just hate Trump so much they can't see what's really going on. What they should have said to themselves He's saying that the president of the United States should be scared of the people right. that should be working for him. And, and that, Trump, and, and uh, go ahead. Uh, and that to me is, uh, it falls in line with what Jim Garrison said in his 1967 Playboy interview. He said, based on his experience in pr prosecuting Clay Shaw and the conspiracy to murder President Kennedy, he felt that the, the government primarily was the CIA and the Pentagon and the Congress was re relegated to a debating society. He also concluded with the statement that Huey Long said that fascism will come to America in the name of anti-fascism. Jim Garrison conceded that I think fascism will come to America in the name of national security. And that's, oh, and, well, and we that's see where we are. I, I, that is exactly where we are. Um, in your books, do you, how far back in American history do you start documenting our transformation into the 
into the very, very severe, unconstitutional, undemocratic, uh, really tyrannous regime that I think America is right now. I go back to the founding um, because I think the founding fathers, although they made some significant mistakes and they had their own flaws, had a lot of wisdom. And uh, a lot of them knew that having a large standing army was not consistent with having a republic. uh, George Washington said it was inauspicious um, to a government such as the one they had created because of the threat that a large army would pose to a republic. So they did not create a large, they they basically went out of their way not to create a large uh, military establishment like they did in Europe because they knew the history. They knew the history. And um, so uh, a lot of the uh, people that are around um, the 20th century, we began to get more and more involved in other people's affairs. And um, World War II was basically the catalyst that projected us onto the world scene. And we became, for the first time, not just an economic power, but a world military power. In Rick, fact, I want to talk say- a minute. I want to I want to focus for just a minute on the founding because I believe it is a uh, a knowledge and a wisdom that could still save America and could still save the world. And just to be brief, everyone should read the Federalist Papers because those writers were trying to sell basically the newly drafted Constitution so that enough of the 13 states would ratify it so that it could go into operation in 1788, mostly, where when these got published. And that's where people can find those supporters of the Constitution, Hamilton, John Jay, and a third one, I forget, making the point that you just made what the founders knew about the danger of a standing army and a total evaluation of the power of this newly drafted Constitution and it is tragic that America is so far from reviewing those documents and having these discussions on a daily basis, and it contributes far to uh, where we are. We're going to take a break in a minute, Rick, and then we're going to. I want to pick up on uh, your point about World War II and what that has allowed America to become, and in whose hands you mentioned before that the Dulles brothers in their time were more or less considered very, very heroic. John Foster was secretary of state in the fifties under Eisenhower and Allen was director of the CIA in the 1950s up until 1961. And yet you alluded to, you know, who and what they really were. And I, it sounds like, you know, who and what they really were. I certainly know a lot more of what, what's unknown by the mainstream with me is Richard Otto talking about the national security state that America now is, and here now is important information from today's news talk, TNT. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them, criminally. 
prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work, and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. This is World Stage. With me is Richard Otto, author of The Paradox of Our National Security Complex, Rethinking America, Lies Masquerading as Truth, and The Hidden War, The Desecration of the Promise of America. Rick, uh, talking about the founding and the power of the things like the Federalist Papers and studying what the founders intended. What's your appraisal of, and, I'll, and this is a very leading question as I'm formulating it in my head. What's your appraisal of what was unique and great and unprecedented and even miraculous about the founding of the United States of America? Well, uh, there are a number of things. Uh, one is that they understood we shouldn't have a large military establishment um, because of their knowledge of history in Europe. Um, they were very well-read, educated people. Um, two, they included um, in the Constitution, it wasn't there originally, but several years later, they included the Bill of Rights, which includes the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of association. Um, we're one of a few countries that has that um, explicitly in their founding Constitution. And all those rights that are enumerated in, in that those 10 amendments are extremely important. But the First Amendment is which everything else is built on. Without that, you can't have all the other rights. 
Um, and that's why the um, present day censorship is so disturbing and uh, threatening to our republic. Mm -hmm. But to mm -hmm. go back to the um, the World War II era, and what's important about that is that you have, um, you, obviously, you, so in order to fight that war, uh, we had a huge military establishment that was still in place as the war was ending. Um, prior, um, in most of our prior wars, after the war ended, we'd go back to the levels, the military would go back to the levels they were previously before the war. In this case, that did not happen. Um, and one of the reasons why that did not happen is they got rid of Henry Wallace. He was supposed to be on the ticket in 1944. He was a big new dealer and he wanted to work with the Soviet Union. He wanted to work uh, with the people that had helped defeated the Axis powers. And he was even a bigger new dealer than um, Roosevelt was. And he and he was uh, vice they, president. He was vice president from 41 to 45, right? That is, uh, to, uh, he was vice president in his third term from uh, 40 to 44. Yeah. Roosevelt, um, nobody wanted him on the ticket in 40, but Roosevelt said that if you don't put him on the ticket, I'm not on the ticket. And so the Democrats caved. But in 1944, Roosevelt was extremely ill. He had a lot on his plate and he didn't have the time or the energy to fight for Henry Wallace at that time. So they snuck in uh, Harry Truman. Now, there are a lot of uh, redeeming qualities about Harry Truman, but he didn't have the wherewithal or the understanding of the post-war vision that Roosevelt had, as did Henry Wallace. And so I think they got their man in power. They duped him. They got him to sign the National Security Act of 1947. And then they duped him again in 1948 when they got him to sign NSC 10-2, uh, which basically gave all these clandestine black op powers to the CIA that uh, he regretted um, the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post. He started writing it only seven days after President Kennedy was assassinated, criticizing the CIA and all their strange activities. It was creating all kinds of uh, Cold War um, mm -hmm. intrigue and propaganda for our enemies. And he regretted creating it. Um, you, and you, you just you just talked about so many important things I want to drill into just a little bit further. Praising Roosevelt uh, in the earlier segment, you talked about Kennedy not wanting empire. And that is a running theme that I'm loving in the work of historian and independent investigative journalist Anton Chaitkin. Uh, are you familiar with his work? I've seen him interviewed, but I have not read his books. Well, yeah, I, I, th I think you, you uh, highly praise them because they're, they're, they're congruent with your appraisal of this history that I'm hearing, Rick. And it is such a fundamental notion to understand America as always being the rope in a tug of war between two basic forces patriotic that wanted national sovereignty, national independence, national economic prosperity, and also wanted those things for all people in all nations around the world. Scratch patriotic. That's got nothing to do with patriotism. It's just got to do with goodness, really. 
and appreciating and actually trying to live our ideals. All men are created equal and are entitled to certain inalienable rights, among these being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, etc. And the other faction pulling on the, sh on the rope was the power of empire that we fought to overthrow in our revolution and that has never gone away and in fact has always tried to undermine America's development and keep manufacturing power for itself. They, they uh, manipulated things to inspire the civil war in the 1860s, trying to break us apart in collusion with those in the South who benefited from the system of empire, which basically, as it's been unfolded in the last couple of hundred years, is Britain wanting to be the boss by sheer military power and also by manufacturing power, co-opting America as you've just brought us to post-World War II, our mission being subverted by greedy economic powers that align with the mindset the rest of the world is ours to exploit. The people keep them poor, sick, the governments keep them puppets, keep them dependent with unpayable debts and restrictions and controls on their produce, their natural, resor natural uh, resources, so they can't become prosperous in among themselves. What are your thoughts about that big picture? Well, I agree with a lot of it. Um, and I, I, I think essentially what happened is that you had two forces. Um, there was a New Deal, uh, Roosevelt and Wallace, and then there were the Dulles brothers, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Bushes, um, and basically the financiers and the uh, merchants of death, as the Nye Committee called them, uh, the defense contractors that Eisenhower vainly warned us against as he was leaving office. And the only reason I think he warned us against it is because he got really nervous after he had been burned by those people that he had basically allowed to mushroom into the power that they did mm -hmm. because of the lack of supervision during his administration. And what do I mean by that? Well, believe it or not, Eisenhower in 1960 had a meeting with Khrushchev in Paris and they were gonna discuss the comprehensive test ban treaty. And he was hoping that he would be the president that would go to Moscow and there'd be parades and uh, he might yeah. be the one to seek some peace and better relations. Well, um, he asked his CIA director, Alan Dulles, should I suspend the U-2 flights? And Alan Dulles said, no, don't worry about it. The planes are set to um, disintegrate the way, the way they're made if, they're, if the Soviets could shoot them down, but they don't have the weaponry to do it. But even if they did, the plane would disintegrate. The uh, pilot's supposed to take a cyanide pill. And even if he didn't, he'd burn up in the wreckage. And so all the evidence would be gone. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, and so we kept the U-2 flights. Well, lo and behold, two things happened. And I, I don't believe in coincidences, much like homicide detectives. Um, one, Lee Harvey Oswald, I believe, was part of a false defector program. He was a radar operator at the Itsugi um, CIA naval base in Japan. And he was monitoring these U-2. He was communicating with these people. He knew where the flight patterns were, how high the plane flew. He knew about height-finding radar technology. And he defected, threatening to disclose all this information to the Soviets. And then he got into the Soviet Union through Helsinki. Uh, and then six months later, 
um, Gary Francis Powers plane is getting ready to go. And the one thing he noticed, he said that they were taking off his highly classified cameras and putting older ones on, which he thought was weird. Um, and after the fact, he thinks he was set up. But he flew over there and they shot him down. Yep. Only six months after Lee Harvey Oswald had defected and, and um, was trying to share information with the Soviet intelligence community. And yep, they shot him, they um, shot him down in the first week or days of May 1960, just days before Eisenhower was supposed to meet with Khrushchev. In exactly. Paris. And that's not a coincidence. I think Dulles was against uh, Eisenhower's mission. He wanted to sabotage the peace talks. Just like he did with Kennedy, he wanted to sabotage well, what, what, Kennedy's peace talks as right. well. And so when they when they shot down the U two, what was uh, the Soviet response? What was Khrushchev's response? He said, uh, he, first of all, he wanted Eisenhower to tell the truth and and, and apologize. And Eisenhower said, "There's no way in heck I'm going to apologize." And the whole thing was canceled. The trip to well, Moscow. At, at first, the I Paris think at first, at first, when the Soviet Union announced they had that they brought down the U-2, if I recall, the Americans and even Eisenhower denied it. And then yes. the Soviets produced not only the wreckage, but our captured pilot. And that exactly. was the huge egg on the face. And that's why, and that's when Khrushchev canceled meeting with uh, Eisenhower. So they couldn't talk about a, a comprehensive test ban treaty. There'd be no invitation in Eisenhower's last year to go to Russia. It's right. It destroyed his whole, it, as he indicated to Alan Dulles, he's left me a legacy of ashes to give to my successor. And uh, he was really um, pissed off. And I think his original draft did not have all that military industrial complex language. I think it was added in after. And then he gave that warning uh, for two for two reasons. Um, I think he felt that the person that was succeeding him was extremely young and he was a uh, commander of allied forces in Europe. So he knew, he felt that his prestige and his um, authority over these World War II le leaders and CIA people, um, that he had some control over them. He didn't think a lieutenant from the Navy on a PT boat was going to be able to control these people. So he gave that warning. Yeah. Um, and of course, as we talked about earlier, JFK found out in real terms what that warning was all about and what these people were capable of. And it would only get worse throughout his term. But the important you know, thing is to understand, if I may, just quickly, because we don't have a lot of time, is yeah. that the national security complex rose because they allegedly were enhancing democracies around the world. They were enhancing our liberty and security at home. And the paradox is they were doing none of those things. If you look at the history of the CIA, um, when I first wrote my book, William Blum, I think, estimated they had overthrown 81 governments. He was a former State Department employee that uh, had security clearances and wrote a number of very uh, critical books of the United States government and the, their intelligence community. Now, I think it's up to 87. The overwhelming majority of those governments were social Democrats. And the reason why they were targeted especially during the Dulles era, was because they were infringing on corporate profits, whether it's Mohammed Mossadegh in Iran in 53 or Jacobo Abenz in Guatemala in 1954 or Sukarno in Indonesia, and they tried to 
overthrow them in 58. That was their worst defeat when it didn't work uh, until the Bay of Pigs. But they got rid of him. Once they got rid of Kennedy, they got rid of him in 65 under Johnson, creating uh, Sir Harto and his military regime created these death squads that killed millions of Indonesians. Now, the importance of this is that they're not spreading democracy around the world. They're doing the opposite. They're putting brutal dictators in power like Ogut. Uh, Le Penichet in Chile in 1973. And you can see it from administration to administration. It's not just one administration. It goes over time. And then the other thing is they're not enhancing our security at home because they're creating more enemies than they can kill. Their actions abroad are creating a lot of adversaries for the United States. And then the last thing I'd say quickly is they're not enhancing our liberty at home. They're making us a garrison state at home. They're taking away our liberties. The NSA is collecting everything on us. They've essentially gutted the right of privacy and they're censoring us. The CIA is involved in all kinds of activity and Barack Obama, uh, they, I don't know if you're familiar with John Stockwell, but he was a former CIA agent and he basically showed how Operation Mockingbird and how the propaganda uh, from the CIA worked and how they had to go and get someone in Europe to pick up the story, and then they they got people in the United States to pick it up, and that's how they would propagandize the America. Barack Obama signed an executive order that basically allowed the CIA to directly propagandize us, and that's why we're the most propagandized people in the world. We may not know it. The people in the Soviet Union, as RFK Jr. has pointed out, they knew they were being propagandized. Unfortunately, a lot of Americans don't. And so there, you just, you, if I if I could, we we're going to take a break in a minute or two, Richard. And okay. I just want to I just want to circle the great importance of a number of things you recently just said. Number, and then we can t- we can dig deep into these things and more before we're done. To study President John F. Kennedy, in my opinion, is to be blown away by the man's courage, the man's strength. And to be inspired to do likewise, because the nature of America is designed for us to govern ourselves, which means we have to guard the guards. We have to ride herd on our representatives to make sure that they do good and honest things that are fair for all. And the situation today is proof of our failure. And it's well worth diagnosing how and why did Americans for generations fail so completely until we are today suffering with all the things that you led up to, how how many cliffs we are already going over and how many others we are on the verge of going over. So number one is to get oneself excited by studying the presidency of, pre- of, of John F. Kennedy. And the second a field of study is the CIA. And I want to get more into that exhaustively with you before we're done. Because like I wrote in my book, God School 9-11 and JFK, one cannot overestimate the size, the reach, and the evil of the CIA. And thirdly, it's the it's to inspire people to feel strong enough to study how we are lied to, how so much of what we are told by officialdom is nothing but lies. With me is Richard Otto. 
And here now is important information from today's News Talk TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. In a contemptuous display of contumacy, just begging for a beatdown, Hunter Biden went to Capitol Hill today with the express purpose of mocking the impotence of the House Oversight Committee. Sitting in the first row of the visitors gallery at the Rayburn House Office Building hearing room, Hunter smirked and laughed openly as the Republicans gave voice to their impotent rage. Far from fearing a comeuppance, Hunter knows that he has nothing to fear even from a criminal referral for contempt of Congress. Why? Because that criminal referral is going to go to daddy's corrupt attorney general, Merrick Garland, and nothing will happen. That's exactly what's going to happen to all of these people. Nothing. No one is going to prison. No one is even going to have to stand trial, except for Donald Trump. And that doesn't bother me one bit. Why? Because by extending their reach farther than their grasp, by overstepping the mark, and by their general hubris and arrogance, they are exposing who and what they really are to the world. And eventually, it will catch up with them. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. Domestic journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. You're with Bruce DeTorres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And with me is Richard Otto, whose three books are The Paradox of Our National Security Complex, Rethinking America, Lies Masquerading as Truth, and The Hidden War, The Desecration of the Promise of America. Rick, by now you have a sense of what are what's thrilling to me about your knowledge and... I want to let you take it from here because I don't want to short circuit how you would emphasize and flesh out the things that we're talking about 
Or we can banter with questions because I'm loaded with curiosity for all you know. How shall we proceed? Well, I mean, uh, there's so many subjects to go into, and my books uh, cover them because the consequences of November 22nd, 1963 are just uh, so immense. Would um, you do me a favor then? Would you Would you flesh that out, the consequences of Kennedy's killing? And well, also, as, as you can, comment on the extent to which what officialdom tells us is lies to the end of inspiring people to break some habits and build into their lives research into these things so that they can get convinced because no one is going to spread the word about anything that they're not convinced about so take it away well if we talk about president kennedy we have to talk about the mythology and the lies that have been told about him one um uh, the womanizing thing has been exaggerated to such a point that um as uh, author schlesinger jr the pulitzer prize winning historian said how would he have any time to do anything in the white house if he was just chasing uh, skirts all day long he wasn't um, uh, in fact, the Marilyn Monroe thing is a myth, and Don McGovern wrote a great book about that and proved uh, that they were in different places at the time that many of these character assassinating authors uh, claim when they were together. Um, and all these things are done purposely. Um, they're to basically tell the American people that John Kennedy was all profile and no courage. He was a reactionary politician. He was a warmonger. There was no difference between him and Johnson or Eisenhower. He wasn't a different president. And so even if he was killed by a conspiracy, it's really irrelevant. And why are we wasting our time thinking about this irrelevant president? It's a tragedy that he was killed, but it's not that important. That's the narrative that the corporate media, the legacy media, whatever you want to say, and the power elite want us to believe. And it's basically taught our children in the textbooks. Um, what the real president was is that he wanted to expand Roosevelt's New Deal. He wanted to fulfill Roosevelt's desire to have a second Bill of Rights. He may not make it an official Bill of Rights like the ones that the founders did, but he wanted to make it so that everyone could have a job, health care, and uh, that we were fulfilling our ideals um, and that were made at our founding. And so he wanted oh. to expand the New Deal. And Dr. Gibson, uh, if I may quickly, Bruce, sure, he yeah. basically, in Battling Wall Street, I highly recommend that book, basically said that he was putting together a plan to achieve those objectives. Now, Medicare, he was not able to get passed in his administration, but there's a great speech he gave in, in the, the New York City um, at the sports arena and a lot of his advisors were probably going, no, 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 where he just, he had lived the speech. And he basically talked about universal health care and about the importance of Medicare. And he basically indicated what his true thoughts were on the matter. Unfortunately, he didn't get it passed before his death. But this is another thing about him, is people focus on that and say he wasn't very good at getting things passed. 60% of the legislation that he proposed on the Hill, he signed into law. Um, many historians who have now looked at it have indicated, including Dr. Gibson, that he passed more legislation 
uh, you'd have to go back to Roosevelt's first 100 days in his first term to get as much legislation that he passed. He passed more legislation in his first year in office than Eisenhower did in the last six years. He signed into law more le- And so people look at him and say he wasn't legislatively competent. Yeah. He wasn't interested in that. And he was a warmonger. What was he doing um, in terms of foreign policy? He was trying to get us out of Vietnam War. Well, the um, he was trying. He had an order, NASM two sixty three. Your listeners are probably very familiar with it. I won't go too much into depth, but he had a real plan to withdraw. And as Colonel Leroy Fletcher Prouty said, when he came back from his mission at the South Pole, he's um, the whole thing was reversed. All the offices that were shutting down as Kennedy was withdrawing in the Pentagon were all now full of people operating around the clock. And there's a great story by John Judge. Uh, I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Uh, he was a researcher. Um, and his mom worked for the Pentagon, and she would do the studies and the projections and all the numbers. And when Kennedy was withdrawing, she provided them the numbers for how they would logistically do the withdrawal. Well, after his death, within 72 hours, the Pentagon, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, gave her different numbers. They gave her numbers that the war would last for 10 years, that there'd be 57,000 deaths, U.S. troop deaths, which is pretty scary when you think about the actual numbers. Well, those are bullseyes. Both those figures are bullseyes. Yeah. And uh, John Judge said his mom became the first Vietnam um, and protester because she protested to the Joint Chiefs. I thought we were withdrawing. What are we doing? And they told her just to include the numbers. And so this was this was a real reversal. The other thing that people need to know that I talk about, I'm trying to cover a lot of ground because we have limited time, but there are patterns in history and you need to see how they're tethered because history is not a bunch of random events done by lone nutters that you need to memorize the dates, and they're all unrelated. They're before all, we leave, be, be, before before we leave Kennedy, and maybe you're not leaving him. I want to mention another book, "The Last American President" by Monica Wiesak, W I E S A K, and and uh, like your recounting, it is amazing, an amazing account of what President Kennedy did and what he was doing. And therefore, it's the account of what was taken from us and the kind of future we could have had. And um, in addition to that, Battling Wall Street by Gibson, that's another great one along those lines. As I'm sure your three books are, Rick, forgive me, I haven't gotten to read them yet, but tethering uh, history together, you were starting to say. Well, if I could plug my books a little bit, Monica Wycheck's uh, writings, with exception to the details she goes in in her last chapter on the Israeli policy, which I was familiar with, and I, I regret it because I read all his letters um, and um, uh, about the uh, uh, Israel getting the uh, atomic bomb or trying to get the atomic bomb and his conflict he had uh, with Ben-Gurion over that and having inspections at their nuclear power plant that he thought they were trying to weaponize the uh, uranium there. Um, but other than that, if you look at um, my books, um, I, in the paradox, I talk about his quest for peace. 
because I think his foreign policy was critical to understanding who were the powers that um, he was basically threatening and the orthodoxies that they depended, their power depended upon that he was trying to eradicate. Um, and, and so his quest for peace, I, I talk about it in extensive detail, Laos, Berlin, Cuba, uh, Vietnam, and then of course the strategic air command's secret plan that they had to pry out of their hands to bomb all these cities in Russia and China in which the, they had actually had a meeting, and James Douglas talks about these meetings where they try to convince the president to launch our nuclear in a preemptive attack. And he walked out of the first meeting and turned to his secretary of state, Dean Rusk, and said, and we call ourselves the human race. Yep. Um, he obviously rejected those. And then Operation Northwoods, which I'm sure you and many of your people are familiar with. Describe but, it. And even, well, essentially, it was a plan by the Joint Chiefs of Staff to manufacture consent by the American people for them to go in and invade Cuba. And they were willing to lob missiles into Guantanamo and blame it on Castro. They were willing to shoot down a jetliner and then blame it on Castro. Uh, they were willing to, sh they remember the main, they wanted to shoot down a, a Soviet naval vessel uh, off the coast of uh, Cuba and um or an american rather an american naval vessel off the coast of cuba and blame it on the cubans uh much like they did with the the maine you know the u.s maine uh to mm -hmm. justify the spanish-american war they wanted to use these type of um uh provocations to to get the consent of the american people to go in and take out castro and wipe them out and potentially even try to go after the soviet union but um, Kennedy rejected all that, in fact, sent General Lemonster, who was the Joint Chiefs of Staff um, chairman at the time, he sent him to Europe and made yeah. him uh, command of NATO because he was tired of him trying to promote that. These, uh, uh, um, yeah. what he thought were absurd policies that were extremely dangerous. And then the other thing I talk about, which we are getting into, is it's called the bitter harvest. It's called about this perfidious narrative that has been uh, promoted by people like C. David Heyman, the horrible author, uh, Sam Halpern, the former CIA, the Frank Capel papers that tried to link uh, Bobby Kennedy to the death of Marilyn Monroe and all this uh, shenanigans. And of course, Judith Exner Campbell and uh, the forged documents and Seymour Hersh's awful book, The Dark Side of Camelot. Um, I talk about how all of these were false narratives that were generated to assassinate his character for the reasons we talked about earlier, so that you don't need to look at his assassination. He was a horrible human being any, right. anyhow, and, uh, and obfuscate the motive that people had to kill him, because if he was a warmonger, why would the defense um, uh, the national security people have a motive to kill him? So. Those are the two big essays that I write about that are very consistent with Monica Wycheck's book, who I highly recommend. And I had a long conversation with her on Skype because I was so, we had such a meeting of the minds. If you read my books, we both looked at President Kennedy and we would hear these negative things about him in the press. And then we'd watch his speeches or we'd watch mm -hmm. his give and take with the press. Yep. And we read books by his friends and people that knew him, and we'd go, yep. this doesn't 
mesh with what they're telling us. So who's the real Kennedy? And when we researched it, we found the real Kennedy, who was a yep. much more heroic person. I want to tell you, Rick, that his the, my chapter on JFK is the biggest chapter in my book. It's the reason I formulated the book as I did to expose the subtitle, The Lies That Are Killing Us and the Truth That Sets Us Free, because he continues to be massively inspiring to anybody who fairly looks at him and appreciates, my God, this is what he was up against. And now you can fast forward through all the presidents since up to today. We've got a handful of minutes, and I request you address this question. Where is the hope, Rick? What can you and I and people watching and people listening, what can we do? And why? What is it about human nature and the desire and love of life and liberty that's on our side? Well, the founding fathers believed that knowledge was power. People that expect to be ignorant and free expected what never was and never will be, according to Thomas Jefferson. I, I think people ought to listen to these books, the one you wrote, or the ones that I wrote. I think they should list. They should read James Eugenio, Lisa Peace, Doug Horn's books. They should listen to the documentaries by Rob Reiner and especially Oliver Stone. They should go on shows like yourself, um, Black Op Radio. That's enough out of you, and hear people that are trying to get the truth out there. Um, it's very disturbing and disheartening, but at the same time, it's um, knowledge is power, and it's also very fascinating to, because once you begin to understand what they did to a president in the middle of an, a day on a sunny day, uh, right in front of everybody, um, and then how they covered it up, you begin to see how other things work and how other um, propaganda campaigns work, whether it's the COVID uh, policies, whether it's Russia Gate whether it's manufacturing consent for us to go into the Dominican Republic, Grenada, I'm convinced Iraq 1 and 2. 9-11, in my conviction, was an inside job, and I marshal the evidence for that in my book. Um, it's, it's comprehensive. It's a full-spectrum uh, betrayal and corruption of our institutions. Why This is why this is a call for all hands on deck. I may have interrupted you. I apologize. No, I, I appreciate your input and uh, all the more reason why I want to read your book. Um, I will say this. General Wesley Clark met with one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and um, he told and he told him that they had plans of invading seven countries. Yeah. Um, I, Somalia, I think that was it. I think that was after 9-11. I, think I actually it was, was just it was just before 9-11. Wow. They they planned to go. It was 1998 around that okay. period. You, you can see the interview on YouTube. He actually. Oh, I've, I've seen it a number of times. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. He talks about they wanted to go into Iran. They wanted to go into Iraq. They wanted to go into Syria. They wanted to go into Libya. They wanted to go into Lebanon. They wanted to go into Somalia. Um, and they wanted to go into Yemen. They've gone into five of those countries. Yeah. They haven't gotten to two of them. Lebanon and Iran. Now, the importance of this to just dovetail what you said. We're, was we're that, down to our last. We're down to our last cluster of moments. Well, I just want to say quick. I just wanted to say quickly that Dick Cheney was running an energy task force just before 9/11, and they were carving up Iraq 
and divvying Allow out me. the oil fields. <laughs> Thank you, Rick, Rick, uh, Richard Otto, uh, whose books are found on Amazon and the usual sellers. And it has been a pleasure to talk to you, my friend, to be continued. And this is today's News Talk, TNT.